Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Today's reading is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those that are with young. This is the word of God. Amen. Amen. Our passage this morning begins with the words, Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. In my lifetime, there has never been a year when I've needed to hear those words more than I need to hear them this year. We've all been through a very difficult year. We've faced a lot now, and we face an uncertain future. We all need to hear words of comfort and joy and hope. Words like these that we read in this morning's passage. Let's pray. Father, these are words on the page right now to us. But your spirit can bring them to life in our lives. For you have given us a gift in Jesus Christ who helps fulfill these words. I pray that no matter where we are on our spiritual journey this morning, you would speak to us. For those believers who are trusting you, may they find a deeper rest and trust in you. Move us to share this message with the world. For those who are teetering in their faith, may Christ become more real through this passage, through your Spirit's work. And those who do not yet know Christ, may they see the glories of the riches that you offer in Christ. May they come to see him for who he truly is. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Many of the prophecies of Isaiah are layered on three different layers. One, it speaks to the people of the day of Isaiah. Then it speaks to the coming of the Messiah. Sometimes it's speaking of his first coming and sometimes it crescendos in his second coming. Today's passage speaks on all three levels. I'm reminded of the movie National Treasure where 
Nicolas Cage is seeking this incomprehensible treasure. And he has a team, and the key clue to finding this treasure is on the Declaration of Independence. And so they steal the Declaration of Independence. They bring it out, and of course they read it on the first level of announcing independence for the United States. But they turn it over, and they put some lemon juice on it, and they blow it with a hairdryer, and all of a sudden, words start to arise off of the back of that page that had been written in invisible ink. And there's an entirely another message which gives them the clue, the key clue, to finding that incomprehensible treasure. This morning, we're going to see that for Israel in Isaiah's day, it was a declaration of independence, these words. And for us today, they speak of an incomparable treasure that is offered in Jesus Christ. So we're going to first look at what this passage meant to the people of that day. Then we're going to look at what it means to us today. So Isaiah 40 is a key pivotal moment in the book of Isaiah. So in the first 36 chapters, Isaiah had been largely speaking about Assyria's threat to the northern kingdom, Israel. See, Israel had been one nation, but it divided under King Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. The northern kingdom took the name Israel, and the southern kingdom took the name Judah. Judah was a more faithful nation. The capital, Jerusalem, was housed in, in uh, Judah, and it contained the temple of God where people could worship God. The Assyrians, Isaiah is saying, are going to come against the northern kingdom and they are going to destroy it and take the people captive. Then in chapters 37, 38, and 39, Isaiah turns to a historical narrative. And he explains that King Hezekiah, upon seeing the destruction of Israel, <clears throat> turns to God in deep prayer God answers the prayer, and he miraculously stops the Assyrian army, turns them back, defeating them. So Hezekiah and Israel and Judah now are, are safe. Shortly afterwards, Hezekiah becomes ill, and he prays to God again. God heals him from that fatal illness, and in celebration of that, the king of Babylon sends emissaries to bring gifts to King Hezekiah. He's so bolstered by that that he shows his entire treasure to these emissaries. And now they know the treasures of Judah. And God is disappointed in the actions of Hezekiah and he pronounces judgment in, verses, in Isaiah 39, verses 6 and 7. He says, Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up <clears throat> till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. 
Although Judah would avoid the fate of Israel at the hand of the Assyrians, they would suffer a similar fate at the hands of the armies of Babylon. And it's under this shadow of Judah's defeat, the destruction of Jerusalem, the devastation of the temple, and the captivity of the people of Judah taken to Babylon that our passage arises. As bad as the circumstances are for us today, they are immeasurably worse for Israel of that day. It was more like being a nation under siege by ISIS or a Poland during the time of Nazi Germany's rise. And so they hear these words. They are not utterly defeated. And God says to the prophets, comfort, comfort my people, Israel. And he continues in verse 2, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her that her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. What would a besieged people want to hear more than your warfare is ended or your hard labor more likely, that's a correct translation, your hard labor is over. The captivity is going to end. You are going to return. You are still God's people. Your sins which brought this judgment upon you are completely forgiven. Those are the words they would want to hear, and they do hear them. This was a declaration of independence for Judah. Not just from Babylon, but to and towards God himself. Because God would bring them home. God would rebuild Jerusalem. And the temple would be once again built and the people would be completely restored because of their forgiveness but more than that we see in these, this passage a promise that God himself would show up we read in verses 3 through 5 a voice cries in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord Yahweh make straight a desert a highway for our God and the glory of God will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God would come to Israel and the world would see him. While this wouldn't take place in their day, it, it would give them a hope a hope of knowing what the ultimate future is for generations. And that no matter what happened to them during their time, when they are with God, they are on the winning side. He will show up. And that's how much care he has for them. God's coming to earth is unimaginable. It's incomprehensible. It sounds like a fantasy. So that's why he ends verse 5 with, 
The Lord has spoken, and he continues, verses 6 and 7. A voice says, cry, and I say, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. All its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Here is the assurance that what is the promises made in this passage to Israel are not the voice of men, even the voice of Isaiah. They're the very voice of God. So, if you had this incredible promise, the declaration of independence, the coming of God, and it's, you know for certainty it's true, the natural response is, I've got to tell everybody. And that's what we see in verse 9. Go on up to the high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, the cities of Judah. Behold your God. The Jewish people were called to be evangelists for God. They had an incredible promise to share with the world. God is coming. So what does this passage mean for us today? And we want to uncover that second meaning, not with lemon juice and a hair, hair blower, but with scripture itself. And what we're going to see come off the pages is Jesus Christ. And so... What does this mean for us today? We certainly need comfort. We have faced so much this year. The shadow of the pandemic is over all of our lives. Our concern for our own health, concern for the health of loved ones, the stress that that brings. We've missed big, big events graduations, weddings, even funerals we've had trouble going to. We don't know what the future holds. Our, our nation is in disarray. We need to hear these words of comfort today. And God speaks them to us. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly. To us today, cry out that our warfare against God is ended, that our iniquity is pardoned, and that we receive from the Lord double for all of our sins. Notice this promise is not to the whole world, it's comfort, comfort my people. It's only for those whose sins are forgiven. Because God is a holy God, our sins must separate us from God. Otherwise, God is not holy. God is not just if there is not penalty for our sin. And as much as God loves us, that sin separates us. And so his only people are those whose sins are forgiven. And that's what the promise we see in this passage. Our iniquity is pardoned. 
And then it says something that we often misunderstand. They've received double from the Lord's hand for all their sins. And that sounds as though God's going to double punishment or he has double punished Israel. He'll double punish us. That's not just. And it isn't just because that's not what it means. It's not saying that we receive double the punishment. It's saying we receive double the pardon. Uh, one Hebrew scholar points this out. He says, the passive use of this verb received means the punishment of our iniquity has been accepted. It doesn't mean that we pay it. It means someone has paid for that punishment. And it's satisfactory to God. For the passive of use of this verb is used only of God's acceptance of the Levitical offerings. They didn't pay for it. It was their sacrifices, the sacrificial lamb or bulls or goats that paid the price for their sins. And it covered their sins until the ultimate fulfillment of this promise, which would come in Jesus Christ. When shortly after Jesus is born, his parents take him up to Jerusalem for a dedication. And there's a man there named Simeon. And Simeon is in the temple every day waiting and waiting for the Messiah. And Luke says, Simeon was there waiting for the consolation of Israel. You know what consolation is? Comfort. He's waiting for the one from who was promised, who was going to bring comfort. The one who is going to fulfill Isaiah 40, the meaning of comfort, comfort my people. And that is Jesus Christ because he pays for our sins. Not only does he pay for our sins, he pays, he gives us a double for it. What does that mean? So, for instance, uh, if I had a bank account and I had a debit of $100 billion, I'm in real trouble. How, how do I ever pay that off? I can't pay it off. But say there's a trillionaire, and he comes and he looks at that and he says, I'm going to pay the $100 billion off. So he pays the $100 billion off, and now my account says, zero balance. I'm really excited about that. But then he doubles down and he puts another $100 billion into my account. Now I'm even happier. That's what Jesus Christ did. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, became sin for us. He paid the penalty for our sins so that we might become the righteousness of God. And what it's saying is, I have a heavenly account, and it is filled, filled with sin that I could never pay. Jesus Christ took that account, paid for all the sins, so now it says zero balance. But then he puts in his righteousness in my heavenly account. Believers in Jesus Christ, not only are their sins forgiven, but when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Double for our sin.
But not only has God done all of that, he has come to us. Again, we read verses 3 through 5. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's saying the Lord is going to come. We're going to see his glory. And the gospel of John points out that's Jesus Christ. It opens with saying in the beginning was the Lagos. And the Lagos was God. And then it says in verse 14, and the Lagos became flesh. This is referring to Jesus Christ. And we beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Son. And then verse 18 says, no one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side, he's made him known. Jesus Christ was God present with us as God the Son. We beheld his glory. He is the fulfillment of these words. This is further confirmed by the fact that the voice crying in the wilderness is John the Baptist. John 1, 22 and 23. So they said to John, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. John the Baptist fulfills these words as he prepares the way for the coming of God. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus Christ by pointing out people's sin and calling them to repentance. And he was very popular. People came to him in droves as he says, you are sinners. You need to turn from your ways to turn back toward God. It's not a popular message today. But it's the message we need to give to prepare the way for Christ. Because no one is going to accept Christ as Savior unless they know they need a Savior. It's easy to share a gospel saying, Jesus came to give you life. He gave it to give it to you abundantly. All you have to do is invite him into your heart. That's not the gospel. The gospel is we have sinned. The good news is Jesus Christ came and paid for that sin. It's not popular today. Nobody wants people saying you're a sinner and you can't save yourself. But if it's true, it's the words people need to hear. Nobody wants to hear the words, you have cancer, and unless it's dealt with, it'll be fatal. We don't welcome those words. But when we hear the words, but we can take care of it, and you will be brought back to have a life just like you had beforehand. Then we can take those words. You know, 
Paul says that when we hear the gospel, it's an aroma. And it's an aroma of death to some people. They don't want to hear it. But it's the aroma to life for those who would embrace it. Our job is to share that aroma. And that, yes, we have cancer of the soul. But Jesus Christ took that upon us so we could have not only forgiveness, but the double portion of the righteousness of Christ. Again, this news is too good to believe. How can you believe this? God is coming. God has taken all of our sin. I think if we look deep down in each of us, we know we have sin. We know there's stuff we, we don't want in our lives, our thoughts, our, our, our actions, our failures, what's going on in our minds and in our hearts. Jesus came for those. It's too good to believe, and that's why, again, verse nine, uh, it says, the Lord has spoken. Verse 6 and 8, a voice says, cry, I say, what shall I cry? <clears throat> all flesh is grass, all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of God blows on it. Surely, the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. You know, <clears throat> it's hard to believe someone because we've been let down by so many false promises. I mean, just turn on a few commercials and uh, how many of them really ever work for us. Uh, listen to if the promises of some of the politicians and... Uh, we know they're pie in the sky. And so it's difficult to believe this message would be true as well. And then when you hear it come from charlatan preachers or preachers who are nationally known and yet they have incredible moral failures and you say, well, why would I believe that word? Well, don't believe it because it comes from the mouth of men. We're, we're like flowers fading away. We're temporal don't trust us as individuals. But trust God because he's the one who's spoken these words. They're not something for us. If God has spoken, they're not words for us to say, yeah, it might be, you know, I can take it or leave it. Take or leave my words, but don't take or leave God's words. And so the question is, has God spoken these words? And have you done that search to see if God has spoken these words? Because he has. He spoke them 1,700 years before Jesus came and Jesus fulfilled them completely as we see even in the verses we read today. So if we have this message of comfort to our world, a message that you can be on God's side, that he comes for you and forgives you, and we have that message as believers in Jesus Christ. How can we keep it to ourselves? And so he says in verse 9, Go up to the high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. 
Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Jesus is not just a baby lying in a manger. He is God incarnate. He is God with us. He is Emmanuel. He's not like every other religious leader. He's God. They were all human. They were like grass that withers and fades. He is the word of God who abides forever and has always been here and always will be and his promises will always be true. Fear not to share this message. It's Christmas season. Look for the opportunities to share your faith about Jesus Christ. For it's the good news everyone needs to hear. And then he gets more specific about that good news. Behold, the Lord your God comes with might. His arm rules for him. His reward is with him, his recompense before him. He shall tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. We need these words more, ever, more today than ever, of course. And they say that the two things we need for if we're going to have comfort, we need to hear these words from somebody who has the power to fulfill them and someone who cares enough for us that he will fulfill them. You see, if I have a need, say, I need my, the tuition paid for my children to go to college and I don't have the resources, they don't have the resources... Jeff Bezos has those resources. He can pay for my children's college education. He has that power. He's not going to. Because I mean nothing to him. He doesn't care for me. He doesn't know me. He's not going to pay for my son's tuition. On the other hand, my parents love, they love my son's. And uh, they would wish to pay for it, but they don't have the resources to pay for it. So, not going to be done. But if Jess Bezos was my father, ah, then I'm in, right? We've got the resources and the care. And that's what this passage says about God. His arm is powerful. And that powerful God cares for you like a shepherd cares for his lambs. You know, we don't have in this passage the promise that the pandemic is going to go away, that our country is going to unite in love with each other, but we have the promise that we have a God who can do anything, who is sovereign over all, who will carry us like lambs. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for he walks with me. That's God's promise. But don't leave out the fact that that strong arm 
rules. He rules in that he is sovereign over every event, and that's why if you are beloved by God, you know you can trust him no matter what happens. But it also says he is the ruler. He is the king. We are not. But he is a king who rules with truth and grace. That's what we want. Somebody who rules with truth, what is right, what is good, what is pure. Because we are not good, pure, and right. We're glad he also rules with grace toward us. And he does in Jesus Christ. You know, a year ago, I looked around my neighborhood and everyone had great lives, all contented. And and I wondered, what, what can I share about the gospel that's going to interest them? A lot has changed in a year. We're all going through it. We all need those words of comfort and joy. We all need to know that there is a God, a sovereign God, who will carry us like, a, like lambs. We have a one, a God, who rules with truth and grace. And we have the one, and find all of those things, in the one whose birth we celebrate. Let's take these tidings of comfort and joy into our neighborhoods, our communities, and our world. Our Father, we thank you for these words and ask that our first prayer of that these words of comfort would be taken by your Spirit to minister, first of all, to our hearts so that we become a testimony to our neighbors of a hope, a comfort, a joy, and a glory in God despite anything that's happening around us. In Jesus' name, we praise and thank you. Amen.